the end of chapter 16. And this morning we come to the depth and the width of the mission of the church. Now many pastors interpret these verses in a different way or go a different direction by just looking at Paul's ministry and Paul as a minister. But instead I want us to kind of look at us together, the mission of the church. And in the midst of all the ambition that exists in this room or with those watching online, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we taken on God's ambition for our lives? Have we taken on His ambition for our lives? Is His mission our mission? You know, what are we spending our lives on? What are we giving our lives to? What are we moving toward in our lives? On March 11th, 1965, so many of us in this room were not even a thought then, but some of us, March 11th, 1965, maybe a good year, maybe a good day. But at the age of nine years old, a man or a guy, or nine-year-old boy at the time, Gary Duschel of Virginia Beach, Virginia, began making a chain out of Wrigley bubblegum wrappers. Last year, he entered in the Guinness Book of World Records with the longest bubblegum wrapper chain ever made. This chain contains over 2.6 million Wrigley gum wrappers, is over 110,000 feet long and growing. The length of this chain is over 20 miles long and would require the average person seven and a half hours to walk its length. This chain is equivalent to 366 football fields, 534 hockey rinks, and 73 Empire State Buildings. Dussel's chain is made up of 2,583,335 wrappers. The chain weighs over 1,500 pounds, and the wrappers make up over $180,000 worth of bubblegum. Let that sink in. Then here's the kicker. This chain has taken over 42,000 hours to create. What an astounding and yet weird achievement. On one hand, I'm impressed with Gary Duschel. I mean, I'm impressed. Can you imagine the time, the energy, the dedication that he put into this endeavor? What an amazing or what amazing ambition that he has to have. But on the other hand, I can't help but think about those 42,000 hours and wonder, could they have been used maybe more productively? You know, are, are these ultimately 42,000 wasted hours? And I'm not saying it's wrong for us to have hobbies. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to spend our time on certain endeavors. But I think the question we have to continually ask ourselves is in those endeavors or in those hobbies, are we making much of us or are we making much of him? Is there a way that we can pursue not just our careers, but pursue our hobbies, pursue even our endeavors with a desire to make God known? Is there, a, is there a way to do that? And oh, that God would allow that to be the case in our lives. That even our hobbies are used for the glory of God. Which leads me to ask two questions this morning that I, I pray will hover over us in our time together today. And those questions are this. Number one, what is the mission of the church? And two, what is the mission of your life? So what is the mission of the church and what is the mission of your life? And I pray that by the end of this time, you will come to realize that these aren't um, two separate missions, but the same mission. One and the same. The mission of the church should be the mission of our lives. Should be what we give our lives to. Yet, surprisingly, one of the most controversial questions in the church today is what is the mission of the church? 
Now, that sounds crazy, right? That should be a question that should be easy for us to answer. But then we realize that we, as the body of Christ, are oftentimes going in about a thousand different directions. You have some going this way, some going this way, some this way, this way, this way, this way. And then a few people standing in the middle complaining about everybody going in different directions. So this is the kind of the picture of the church. And churches often say we want to... We want to see people know Jesus. We want to do good in the world around us. And that sounds good. And that, that is good. Now, we want people to come to Jesus. We want to do good in our world. But when we begin to narrow the focus in a little bit on the mission of the church, things get a little bit more difficult. The ultimate question that we have to ask is, what are we sent into the world by God to accomplish? So what are we sent into the world by God to accomplish? One pastor put it this way, the church does not do mission the church is mission. So we don't do mission. We are mission. We are about the mission of God. The only reason we've been created is for God's mission. And the mission of the church is the task that God has given to us to accomplish in the world. In the, in the simplest terms, it's called the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Go, go into all the world. Go into all nations. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them to do what Jesus taught us, knowing that Jesus is with us every step of the way. One Christian theologian said that Christian mission is thus to act out in one's whole life throughout the whole world the confession that Jesus is Lord. To act out in your whole life to the whole world that Jesus is Lord. That's our mission. And in the book, What is the Mission of the Church? Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert uh, define it this way. And you'll see it on the screen. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. So that is the ultimate mission of the church. So what I want us to do is I want us to jump into the word this morning. And see how Paul, in his conclusion, points the church at Rome and points us, by extension, to fulfill the mission of the church. And I'm just going to tell you in advance, I have way more notes than we have time. So we'll see which one, which one ends first. I have a feeling um, time's going to run out before we get to the end. So we're, we're going to get to the end of this because this is vital to where we are and where we are going. But if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Romans 15, verses 14 through 21, and then unpack these verses together. Verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me to God, or by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles and the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, 
and those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. Father, today help us to understand. Help us today by your word, through your spirit, to understand, oh God, Jesus, the mission that you have for your church. Lord, help us not to make up our own mission or pursue our own desires, but to pursue the purpose by which we have been saved for. Lord, may we join together as the body of believers today, heart, soul, and mind, God, just given to that purpose. Lord, not, it's not just the purpose of the church. It's not just the purpose of First Baptist Church devotion. Make it the purpose of our lives. Stir us, we pray, in that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to lay a few questions before us this morning. I just let you answer these kind of um, quietly, so you don't, don't answer these out loud. But just think about this. Does the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, do we exist to visit the sick? Do we exist to feed the poor? Do we exist to pray for those who are hurting? Do we exist to counsel the confused? Do we exist to teach the word of God to believers and see them grow in their knowledge of God? Do we exist to provide guidance and comfort for people in important times in their lives? And I think to all of those questions, we have to say, no doubt, we, that is part of why we exist. These are all responsibilities of any church. But are they the ultimate mission of the church? And I would go so far this morning as to say that although all of these things are important within the church, they are not the mission of the church. One of the great dangers, I think, of of the church is that we slip into a maintenance mentality. That we want things to stay and to run exactly like they're running right now. And we begin to, to focus on maintenance and maintenance and maintenance all the while forgetting a lost world outside. What we do is we come in and we have flashlight parties where we shine the light on each other and then we turn our lights off and we go out into a lost world, a dark world, and we refuse to let the light shine out there. Listen, it's good to shine our light uh, in the midst of others and encourage one another, but if we're not letting the light shine, if we're not letting it out, then what are we doing? Then what are we doing? May the light get out uh, for the glory of God. May we understand, brothers and sisters, that we are we don't, we don't belong to a church. We are the church. We are the church, and we exist for a lost and a dying world. We exist to be light in the midst of darkness. We exist to offer hope to the hopeless. We exist to show life to those who are spiritually lifeless. Yet when a church loses the spirit of the Great Commission, it surrenders the reason why it exists. And we We must never forget that we serve a missionary God, that this book, the Bible, is a missionary book, the gospel is a missionary message, and the church is a missionary institution. We exist for mission. Essentially, please hear this, even write this down. The church has many responsibilities, including what we just mentioned earlier. We have many responsibilities, yet we have one mission. And that mission is to take Jesus into the world. Many responsibilities, many things that we can be doing, but one mission, to take Jesus to the world. And a church that isn't focused on taking Jesus to the world is a church that is not focused on the Word. Because that is the whole point of the Word, to take Jesus to 
the world. So what I want to do this morning, I want to lay before us three callings related to the deep and to the wide mission of the church as we see in these verses. The first is this, the first calling, fulfill our God-given calling. So the first calling is to fulfill our calling, fulfill our God-given calling. Look at verse 14. We're going to go through verse 16 here, but verse 14 says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. And praise be to God, the gospel changes people. The gospel transforms people. Here Paul is writing to a church that he had never met. Most of the people in this church he had never met, but he had heard about them. And he's praising God for the transformation that had taken place in their lives. They are full of goodness. They're filled with knowledge. And he's praising God for their knowledge. They're able to teach one another. He's rejoicing in that. And let me say this. First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, I praise God for your goodness. I praise God for your goodness, the way you are so good and so sensitive to what God is doing and sensitive to needs around us. I, I praise God. Even last week, we had Dr. Coach Mitchell come in and just a, a unique ministry. But we had just from our church, almost $1,500 given and a camper um, given just from your goodness. What we do every month through our food pantry, just through your goodness, the way we serve our community, just through your goodness. I praise God for your goodness. I praise God for the knowledge, the knowledge that, that we are growing in the Lord. I praise God for that knowledge. And I praise God for those who are teaching the word of God to others. And I pray that for all of us, that we would all continue to grow in goodness, that we would grow in our knowledge of the, the word, that we would teach others the word of God. Oh, that that would be who we are. And then Paul continues in verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. So Paul wants the church at Rome and us by extension to remember a few things. Do you know that we oftentimes need to be reminded of what we already know? You don't need, we don't need to be reminded of things we don't know. We need to be reminded of things we already do know. And this is the continual theme of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God tells the people of Israel... Listen, when you get to the promised land, don't forget. Don't forget what I've done. But what do they do? They got in the promised land, they forgot. This is the theme of the New Testament over and over again. In 1 Corinthians 15.1, Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Sometimes we can forget the gospel. We need to remember the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. We need to be reminded of the gift of God that we have and see the flame of that, see it flame and see it burning in and through our lives. In 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel. So sometimes we need to be reminded not to fight each other. We need to be reminded to stop fighting and fussing among each other. In Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. That's a tough one to be reminded of in our lives, in our world. 1 Peter 1, 12 and 13, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Peter just talked about faith and virtue and goodness and perseverance and those things. Reminds you of those things. And then Peter says, I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So remember, remember, remember. And why do we need to be reminded? 
because we often forget. We often forget. We are easily distracted because we think we know more than we actually do. You know, there are some in this room, let me, and, and myself included, there are times in my life where I, I have more knowledge of the Word of God than I do obedience to the Word of God. And anytime you have more knowledge than you do obedience, you will soon forget what you know. If you have more knowledge of God's Word than you do obedience to God's Word, you will soon forget what you know. Oh, that we would remember what, what it is or what is it today that you need to be reminded of? What is it in this moment that God is reminding you of? And I praise God for the book of Romans, that we are reminded over and over again of God's justice, of our sinfulness, of God's grace and mercy given to us in Christ. We're reminded of our status before the Lord. We're reminded of our need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We're reminded of our eternal future hope in Christ. We're reminded of a God who fulfills all his promises and we're reminded to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God for his glory remember 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 and then continuing in verse 15 because of the grace given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus so Paul now talks about his calling into the ministry this was a man who once supported the killing of Christians He supported that. He pursued Christians to kill them. And yet he had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And God called him in that encounter into ministry. And Paul's saying, I'm called into ministry, but if you look in Acts 9, or if you remember Acts 9, when Jesus comes to Ananias, Jesus says this to Ananias, I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Listen, Call to ministry, sign me up. Yes, I'll take that call. Call to suffer, here's your gift back. That's, I mean, we'll take gifts of all kinds of different things. Give me a gift that leads to suffering and you can have your gift back. I don't want it. But Paul says that gift that led to his suffering was a gift that made much of Jesus Christ. And he says, I praise God for the gift. I praise God for the calling. For the calling of God in my life. And then Paul finishes In verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of God so that offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. And it kind of gets weird here, but Paul sees himself as a priest standing before the altar of God. And in the Old Testament, priests, they spoke on God's behalf and they shared God's word with people. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's sharing the word of God to, to people everywhere he goes. He's making it his responsibility to share Jesus with them. But priests also presented offerings. And so Paul takes on this metaphor now, but what does he say is his offering? His offering is not animals. His offering, hear him, is the Gentiles. So he's given the Gentiles. So Paul goes throughout the world. He's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And when God opens the heart of certain Gentiles to come to Jesus, then what Paul does, he takes those Gentiles who now come to Christ, and he says, here, God, they're yours. I didn't save them. God, you did. They are yours. All I did was open my mouth and pointed them to you. You saved them. They are yours. Don't miss this. That these Gentiles, who were not even allowed to be a part of the temple where offerings were made to God, Paul says those same Gentiles are now offerings to God. They weren't even allowed to be in the place of in the temple where offerings were made, and Paul says, but they are now the offering. 
Those who had been excluded from Jewish worship, God has included. What a beautiful picture Paul is saying. And think about that. That is a picture of us. When you have an opportunity or I have an opportunity to to share um, Christ with someone and see them come to know Jesus, we are, in essence, according to Paul, presenting those individuals to God as an act of worship. Because we're saying, God, all I did was tell them about you. You saved them. You did it all. God, all I did was show them and tell them that you are the God who saves and you saved them. What a beautiful picture of worship. And then Paul ends verse 16 this way. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Just so we know what the word sanctification means. Whenever you sit in a pew or a chair, you are sanctifying that chair or pew because you are allowing that chair or, or pew to do what it was intended to do. It was intended to hold you. When someone plays an instrument, you are sanctifying that instrument because you are using that instrument for its desired purpose. You don't write a letter um, with a musical instrument. You don't make a phone call on a musical, maybe you can can today, I'm not sure, but you're not supposed to be able to make a phone call with a musical instrument. You play it for its intended use. When When you have shoes You're not sanctifying them by putting them in your closet and never wearing them. You're sanctifying them when you put them on and walk or run with them. So there's a picture that we have to see in our own lives of how sanctification works in us and through us. That we are being used for our intended purposes. And think about what Paul says later on. Paul, Paul says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. We were never made or even saved to be our own. And when we think that we are are our own, and when we think we can define our own lives or the purpose of our own lives, we are defeating the purpose by which God has saved us for and made us for. So to, to be sanctified is simply to allow ourselves to be available and at the disposal of one who has the right to use us however, whenever he chooses. For his glory. That is being sanctified by the Spirit of God. And don't miss this, because I think some need to hear this today. If we remain open to the Spirit's leading, many of the things that we think are insignificant, one day we will come to realize they were absolutely significant. Just prayers that we prayed for people. Phone calls where we said, God laid you upon my heart. I just wanted to reach out to you. Maybe giving towards a food pantry. Maybe cooking a meal for a grieving family. Maybe giving a Bible to someone who doesn't have one or a cup of water in the message of the gospel to someone who is thirsty. We never, ever know how God is going to take a simple act of worship that seems insignificant and use that, what we think insignificant, to make much of himself. And sometimes, listen, we're, sometimes in these acts of worship that we do, we're coming in at the beginning. I mean, we come in and we're doing this, and maybe in that moment, God isn't, hasn't yet opened that person's heart, and that person hasn't yet sum- surrendered and submitted to Christ. But we are in the early stages. Other parts of what we do are in the, the, the back-end stages where all of a sudden we do something, and the person is ready. All we must do, brothers and sisters, in this calling is be open. Submit yourself to do, to go, to be what God has called you to be and to do and where he has called you to go. Fulfill our God-given calling. Which leads us to the second calling, which is this. Boast often and only in Jesus. 
boast often and only in Jesus. It sounds like a weird calling, but listen to what Paul says in verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul preached the entire 1,400 miles from Jerusalem to Illyricum, which is present-day Yugoslavia, and he did so wearing sandals. I mean, it just should blow our minds with his faithfulness, yet Paul takes no credit. Paul says, yeah, my body worked those, or walked those 1,400 miles. Yeah, my mouth proclaimed the message, but Jesus did it all. How contrary that is to the way things usually happen. I liken most of our lives, especially our spiritual lives, think about this, and, and this is a story most of us can relate to, to a little 50-pound little leaguer who is up at bat, and the ball comes, and he swings as hard as he can. And the very bottom of the bat hits the ball, and the ball dribbles to the pitcher. And this little 50-pound slugger starts running towards first base. He is flying, meaning he's going about a half a mile an hour. And so the pitcher's fumbling the ball, fumbling the ball, has plenty of time, finally gets the ball, throws it straight over first base. That hitter runs and leaps and lands on first base and his great accomplishment, but then he begins to hear yelling from the first base coach saying, go, go, keep going. So he turns to second base and starts running. Of course, in the outfield, they're throwing the ball here, there, somewhere else, and finally one little kid with a good arm throws it right over second base right in the left field. Now this slugger is standing on second base, happy. Yet now another voice is screaming at him. It's now the third base coach saying, come here, come to me. So this little slugger starts running to third base. He looks in left field, and now he sees half of the other team fighting over the ball, fighting over the opportunity to throw the ball. And he gets to third base, and the coach says, go home, go home. So this little slugger runs. He lands on home plate, and he looks up at the umpire, and he says, did you see the home run I just hit? <laughs> and that is exactly, brothers and sisters, your and my Christian life. We fumble around, and we mess up every step of the way, and we have no idea what we are doing, yet Jesus is working through it all to make sure we get home. And we don't have the right to say, look what I did. Our only declaration is, look what he did. In the midst of my mess, in the midst of the messiness, look what he did. Oh, praise be to God. Paul was a man on a mission. He was a person who seemed to have endless, limitless motivation and talent. He laid out this groundworking plan of taking the gospel to the Roman Empire. All of it happens, yet Paul doesn't say in the end, look at what I accomplished. Look at all the things that happened. He says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was all Jesus. And what we see throughout the word and even throughout history is that the people who do the most for God are those who depend the most on God. Who those who depend on his power, his strength, his mercy, and his grace. And oh, how we need the grace of God in our lives. Maybe today you are here and you need God's grace to help you 
shake off the sluggish heart that you have right now for him. And you need God's grace to reawaken your heart in this moment. Maybe others of you in here and you need God's grace in the midst of a relationship that is falling apart and you can't hold it together anymore. Maybe you need God's grace to help you in serving and giving and loving and being intentional with people who are hard to love and to give to and to, to serve. Paul credited every good work that he did. He said, Jesus, Jesus did it. That was the secret to his success. He presented himself and Jesus did the work. He said, however you want to use me, and Jesus used him. Let me end this, this picture, this calling this way. Being proud of God's work is not a sin. Being proud of God's work is worship. God had to speak to me and kind of um, convict me in that way because there's times where people will come to me and they'll say, tell me what God is doing in First Baptist Church of Ocean Way. And sometimes I, I'm excited to tell them and then sometimes I'm like, no, you need to be a little more humble and not tell them everything. And, or people will come to me and say, I heard you're doing this. And I'm like, yeah. And I try to downplay it. And God had to really say, what in the world are you doing downplaying what I'm trying to do in and through the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way? It's not a sin to rejoice in what God is doing. It's worship. Therefore, may we worship him more. May we rejoice more in what God is doing in and through this, his church. Yes, God is using available vessels, but it is him who's doing it. Praise be to God for using vessels like us. We're cracked. We're broken. We're all kind of misshaped. You couldn't sell us for much. And yet Jesus uses us for his glory. How how beautiful it is. Boast often and only in Jesus. And then the last calling quickly is this. Seek what Jesus sought. And what he sought is the lost. Seek what Jesus sought, the lost. Look at verse 20 and 21. And thus I make it my aim or ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Let me just stop for a second. Paul is not saying that it's a sin to preach to somebody who's already heard Jesus. Now, what we know, statistics tell us that a person normally has to hear the gospel 13 times before they actually respond to it. So Paul is not saying you should only preach the gospel once to somebody and then move on. That's not the picture. But what Paul is saying is, listen, we're called to do both. This isn't either or. Either you preach to people here or you preach to people there. No, we both aim. We get to do both. And so Paul's saying, but Paul is saying, I'm called. I'm called to go. I'm called to go where Christ hasn't been heard. And then verse 21, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This is Paul at the end of the book, basically sharing with the church at Rome his ambition, his desires. His ambition is to see Christ preached where Christ hasn't yet been preached. Paul wants those who've never heard the name of Jesus to hear about Jesus. That was Paul first century. What about the 21st century? Are there still people who have not seen? Are there still people who haven't heard? And the answer is, yes, there are. We live in a world where almost 3 billion people today have never heard the name of Jesus. 2,000 years after Paul wrote these words, there are almost 3 billion people 
who right now have never heard the name of Jesus, who have never heard there is a Savior from sin who came and died for their sins, who is their Savior, who wants to save them from their sin. They've never heard that. I think about so many times uh, us going to India, but I think about a certain time where myself and Pastor uh, Michael back there were, were in India, and we were told by Pastor Subarau, um, who was our God, amazing pastor there, he said, we're going to this area, and we're going to tell people Americans are coming, and you're going to preach the gospel to people who've never heard. So we showed up in, in, in this um, district, this city, about 125 people come. And I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you are thinking, man, that'd be awesome. My prayer was, God, help me not to screw this up. That was my prayer. God, I don't want to screw this up. Lord, help me just to pre present your gospel in a way that's going to be understood. And, and Pastor Mike begins to share the gospel, and it begins to sprinkle. And just like what we would think would happen in America, they took off. Like, they were, we looked out, they were gone. It's like, where'd they go? Like, what in the world? And so here we are standing on stage, and we prayed. And all of a sudden, the rain stopped, and here they come. Every single one of them came back. And we were able to share the gospel with them. And then we went to their homes, and we were able to share the gospel more and pray more. I tell you, it must have done something because the next day, they actually ran us out of the city. It, it was something by which the gospel was doing something, and it, the word was getting out of the gospel in, in that way. And, and listen, I don't want us just to think there. Yes, you need to pray this morning. God, allow me to go as far as you want me to go. Allow me to go as far as you want me to go. As you're calling me to go, may I go as far as you are calling me to go. But we also must think about here. Even in our area, Christian researchers are identifying more and more what they call the nuns. Now, I'm not talking about um, these little ladies in the Catholic Church who wear black, not those nuns. I'm talking about the N-O-N-E-S, nuns. When surveys are filled out in our nation, more and more people are checking the box that says nun when it comes to religious affiliation. I have zero religious affiliation. I have zero desire. I have zero interest in any kind of religion. And what we are seeing is People that maybe even exist right across the street. Kids who have lived 8, 9, 10 years old and have never heard the name of Jesus. Except as a cuss word or as a joke. Have never heard the true gospel presentation. Now yes, they have access. Churches everywhere. But they still need Jesus. They still need Jesus. They still need someone to, to share. And may we never forget that Jesus he came on mission, he lived on mission, he died on mission, and then before he went back up to heaven, he gave his disciples a mission. And we are his disciples. Our conversion is about mission, not just about salvation, because we're not saved just for salvation's sake, we're saved for mission's sake. We're saved for his mission. We're saved to go into the world to make much of Jesus, to make him known. Yet the question is, are we going? question is, will we go? How are we using our jobs right now, our careers, to make much of Jesus? How can we use our hobbies? How can we use different things that we do in our lives to make much of Jesus? May we not just sing about him. May we not just learn about him. May we tell about him. In his book, God Came Near, Matt Cicado tells an imaginary story about four candles that refused to do what they were made to do. They refused to shine. 
And he writes this, a few nights ago, a peculiar thing happened. An electrical storm caused a blackout in our neighborhood. When the lights went out, I felt my way through the darkness into the storage closet where we keep the candles for nights like this. I took my match, I lit four of them, and I was turning to leave with a large candle in my hand when I heard a voice. Now hold it right there. Who said that? I did. The voice was near my hand. Who are you? What are you? I'm a candle. I lifted up the candle to take a closer look. You won't believe what I saw. There was a tiny face in the wax, a moving, functioning, flesh-like face full of expression and life. Don't take me out of here. What? I said, don't take me out of this room. What do you mean? I have to take you out. You're a candle. Your job is to give light. It's dark out there. But you can't take me out. I'm not ready, the candle explained with pleading eyes. I need more preparation. I couldn't believe my ears. More preparation? Yeah, I've decided I need to research this job of light giving so I won't go out and make a bunch of mistakes. You'd be surprised how distorted the glow of an untrained candle can be. All right, then I said, you're not the only candle on the shelf. I'll blow you out and take the others. But just as I got my cheeks full of air, I heard other voices. We aren't going either. I turned around and looked at the three other candles. Your candles and your job is to light dark places. Well, that might be what you think, said the candle on the far left. You may think we have to go, but I'm busy. I'm meditating on the importance of light, and it's quite enlightening. And you other two, I asked, are you going to stay in here as well? A short, fat, purple candle with plump, plump cheeks that reminded me of Santa Claus spoke up. I'm waiting to get my life together. I'm not stable enough. The last candle had a female voice, very pleasant to the ear. I'd like to help, she explained, but lighting the darkness is not my gift. I'm a singer. I sing to other candles to encourage them to burn more brightly. She began a rendition of this little light of mine. The other three joined in, filling the storage room with beautiful singing. I took a step back and considered the absurdity of it all. Four perfectly healthy candles singing to each other about light, but refusing to come out and shine. Will we, who have been saved to shine, will we who have been commanded to shine, will we shine? Will we come out and shine? Will we show forth the glory of God in all that we do? Brothers and sisters, listen, it's good that we shine lights on each other and encourage one another, but our shining can't stop here. There is a dark, lost world that needs to see the light of Jesus. And Jesus said, Jesus said, let your light shine before others, before men, they will see your good works and it bring glory to the Father who's in heaven. Let your lights shine. Let them shine. Tell of Christ. Let me end with the words of Tom Wells. He says this, The God who is worthy to be known and served for who he is is himself the answer to this world's longings. And those who know him best are best equipped to serve him. He is their message. If we have discovered the glory of God in the face of Christ, we must not hold back. The God of glory must be made known. Brothers and sisters, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of your life? I pray today that you will see they're the same mission. Don't accept a mission that is less than the mission that God has given to you. Present yourself to God and say, God, use me. 
however you choose, however you want God to use me, and I promise you this, he will. Might not be the way you intended. I always, say, I always said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I refuse to be a pastor. And you see how that ended. And I'm not saying God will call you in that particular way, but God might blow your mind. But let me tell you this. I've never, many times I said, God, why? I wish you hadn't, but I'm so glad he did. And I, I believe this. If we give ourselves to God's calling over our lives, I'm not saying there won't be times, difficult times. I won't say there won't be times where we wonder what God is doing. But in the end, we will turn and see that he is faithful. His goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. What is God calling you to do even in this moment? I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to call the band forward and enter into this time of invitation and consecration. What is God calling you to do in this moment? Let's pray. Father, in this moment, in this holy moment, God, Lord, we know ultimately you're calling us to be the church, calling us to do what you've called us to do, calling us to display the light that you have placed in us, not to cover it up, not to keep others from seeing it, but to allow people to see the difference that you have made in our lives so, God, it will make a difference in their lives. Lord, help us not to keep the light in. Lord, help us not just to shine among ourselves, but, Lord, let the light out in the midst of darkness. Lord, show us, even in this moment, Lord, how you're calling us, what you're calling us to be a part of. Maybe today there's some, someone in this room or someone watching online that you're calling them as to come into the light for the first time, to actually trust Jesus for salvation. But we pray if any, if any are listening, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for those who do not know you. But for others, God, help us to lay down, Lord, the things that we have taken up as the mission of the church, Lord. And we've called responsibilities mission, and yet, Lord, we are failing to do the ultimate mission. God, help us again in a fresh and a new way to give ourselves to seeing people come to know you. Lord, just stir our hearts. In Jesus' name.